Welcome to the official podcast channel of the Australian Physiotherapy Association, the latest in clinical, academic and health leadership, giving you access to preeminent physiotherapy research from Australia and across the globe. Whether or not graduates are work ready for the private sector is often a topic of debate. At the 2016 Business and Leadership Conference in Darwin, Cherie Wells, Physiotherapy Research Foundation grant recipient, speaks with Errol Lim, private practice owner, about the barriers and facilitators to new graduate success in the private sphere. This podcast explores key findings of Cherie's PRF-funded research on the subject of graduate work readiness. The pair discuss the expectations of private practice owners and the top tips for business owners wanting to better facilitate new graduates transitioning into their practice. So Cherie, it's uh, great to have you here in Darwin uh, and doing this podcast with you, it's obviously our first. Um, Can you tell me, uh, I've read your profile on the website, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to know a little bit more about what you've done. Certainly. Well, um, I've been really grateful to receive funding from the Physiotherapy Research Foundation to look at um, work readiness of our graduates for private practice. As an academic uh, clinician and researcher, I I certainly see the issues that we have with a lot of our new graduates going directly into private practice. And there is some concern whether or not they're ready. Um, And as an academic, I'm really keen to see that we can prepare them as well as we can um, from university for that environment. And obviously this has been a big issue for the last few years Mm. and the APA has addressed that and definitely in our business and leadership conference two years ago in Cairns, Mm. that was the overall theme uh, of the conference. So what has the university you work for and maybe other universities around the country started to do to change the physiotherapy program for undergraduates? Sure. Well, certainly I think the first thing that we've had to do is actually... um, build on the anecdotal evidence we have to actually have some data and to actually explore what the issues are. Um, It's fine to say graduates aren't ready, but if we are going to change that, we need to know, well, what is work readiness and what do we actually need to change? And I think um, what we've actually done in this research that we're doing is uh, surveyed stakeholders, being academics, employers and graduates themselves about their experiences and really tried to understand what the issues are so that we can then transform that, if you like, into a, um, some remediation on the university front, but also hoping that some of the research will inform employers how they can best set up an environment that's um, conducive to a new graduate, yeah. um, and new graduates themselves, how they can prepare themselves uh, adequately for private practice. Okay, uh, that being said, when are you waiting for all the research to be completed before you change things at a university level? Uh, and when will that research be finished? Yeah, certainly. Well, uh, this year is the research that I'm doing okay. will be finished. So we've actually completed 12 focus groups and I'll be presenting the findings of that later on today in the conference. Fantastic. Um, we also have a survey that's ongoing till the end of the year. We're really hoping to maximise response rates so we can get a representative idea of what's happening around the country. In terms of universities being responsive to that, I think um, we've needed something to be responsive to. That's more than anecdotal evidence. Um, And the issue is quite quite complex. And I see that the role of change sits in a lot of people's laps, not just the universities. So yeah, the more we can talk about this issue and get 
the stakeholders together and actually discuss and brainstorm how we might fix some of the issues, the better. Yeah, definitely I I agree with that. And as a private practice owner myself, I think the private practitioners or owners can't just keep putting the blame uh, on university. I I think it's uh, all the stakeholders included Mm. um, need to come together can you, are you allowed to share with us some of the key findings of your research? Yeah, certainly, um, certainly. So w- what's really interesting, first of all, in the survey, so far we're finding that uh, everyone's in agreement, the stakeholders are in agreement, that the uh, graduates are ready at three years out for private practice. Um, but if we look at the first year out, we have both the university's employers rating readiness as somewhat ready, and graduates actually feeling like they're not ready. Um, at the second year mark, we, we've found so far employers are saying that the graduates are ready, the academics are still holding back saying they're somewhat ready. So I guess there's, there's kind of this um, uh, different rating of readiness, and it seems to be related to how you define it. Um, it depends on whether your expectation level is that they are going to be like a, an experienced clinician if they're going to have to have a particular caseload and have a certain appointment scheduling, um, work independently or as part of a team, having a structured mentoring a program or not, um, and do you expect them to be able to handle complex clients or perhaps only a proportion or 80% of what comes in without support. So it's a complex issue, this work readiness. It's not just about is the graduate ready, but is the practice ready for the graduate? Sure, I understand that. If we go back to expectations, the expectations say from the private practice owner, what are those key expectations and how do you break up clinical as opposed to uh, a customer service expectation when it comes to delivering healthcare? Absolutely. I think you've tapped onto something that is coming out in the focus groups, that uh, universities really have this huge focus on clinical knowledge and skills, but what, but it's not contextualised necessarily at all within a private practice environment. And that's where that transition into a client service model, a fee-for-service model, becomes challenging because those two aspects can be at odds with each other. Um, and so graduates do talk about that, that challenge of, you know, usually in the public sector the aim is let's discharge the clients let's send them home regardless whether they're the same better or worse but in private practice they're still there or they'll they'll go if you can't deliver a service and I guess you know there's that client retent need for client retention in private practice but also high quality care because client expectations might be a little bit higher so yeah it's certainly a challenge that graduates face um, and universities uh, are starting to recognize that they do need that client service, those client service skills, and they don't necessarily have to come from the physiotherapy program. It can come from life experiences and other things that graduates can do in terms of enhancing their um, ability to market themselves, etc. Okay. So, knowing that, are the academics then starting to shift their focus, or do they still have this? There's a mix. There's a mix. Clinical. Emphasis yeah. uh, within the degrees. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. There, there's a slow shift in some programs to include business yeah. knowledge and skills, which I actually, I'm 
personally a fan of because I do think it is a different model of service and I think you have to be aware of how to market yourself and how to have the ethics and the financial aspects it's good to talk about these issues because they present themselves yep. every day in, in clinical practice the challenges I'm sure you realize is that um, the crowded curriculum makes it quite difficult to to incorporate all of that and so universities are having to creatively look at ways they can incorporate that within their programs yeah, that's hard, isn't it? Because I've, I've, I've heard that um, basic argument before. Um, I, if I can, I'll, I'll go back to what my expectations are as an owner. Mm. And we, we pretty much say when you, when you meet a client, or, or, or we like to call them clients actually, yes. um, uh, as opposed to patients sometimes, we think that if a physio meets a client, the physio's got to be liked Mm-hmm. first and foremost mm-hmm. uh, then they've got to be trusted mm-hmm. and maybe only then will the customer or the client start to do some ongoing business with that physiotherapist mm. so that's a key mm. I heard recently from a doctor a well-known doctor in Sydney that I met um, and he told me there's only three things I tell uh, my junior doctors when they start working in, in GP practice and GP land with me and it's the three A's and the first two A's account for 95% of what I want them to do. Um, and number one is, they've got to be available. Mm-hmm. But equally important, if not more important, is they've got to be affable. Mm-hmm. They've got to be light. Mm-hmm. And those two components equate for 95%. And for that very last small percent, they've got to have some sort of ability. Mm or else their GP list or the GP clinic won't be full. Mm. And that's, to some extent, to me, that's private practice. Yes, yes. I feel if that understanding at an undergraduate level doesn't change, we're still going to be in this situation where we're still so focused clinically and with musculoskeletal care, pain management changing to how we need to communicate better with our mm. patients to get better compliance and adherence, we're going to struggle yes. with uh, yes. delivering musculoskeletal services. Um, so, Cherie, I'm going to ask you on that note, how do you feel about that? Yeah, and sure. how are the really the economics really starting to tackle that despite yeah. the big clinical program that they have yes. in their degrees? I certainly hear you. You want action yesterday. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I wish universities could be as responsible as businesses and small practices can be, but they're a slow-moving beast. We've got so many accreditation issues and so many cross-university issues yeah. that we have to try and massage into our programs and restrictions. But I do hear you, and it's certainly coming from both academics employers and graduates themselves that the rapport building skills and the interpersonal communication skills are so key to actually making sure clients get better as well and it's not just the clinical knowledge skills uh, so I we are listening um, in terms of knowing how to deal with that you know how do you actually train some of those things it is it is a challenge and certainly there's debate in in some of the focus groups about that can they be trained how much of it is driven by a person's makeup and personality. Yeah. Um, we, we already have as one of our clinical skills is communication, but how do we tap into this whole X factor, emotional intelligence, rapport building, and that unseen kind of skill people have to relate to each other? Um, it's a challenge, and I don't think 
I have the answer for you today. Sure, sure. Um, but I certainly think that it's been identified in our research to be one of the key areas that we do need to focus on in our curriculum as well. Um, and and so I, I, I think part of what's coming out is the best way we can do that is by giving uh, students the opportunity to experience that situation and that comes from clinical experiences and exposure. So I understand that you've got a clinical placement program with Macquarie University that you run. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, we've just um, last year started taking on a, a couple of students um, and for us it was a bit of a trial. We've, we've taken students in the past uh, but I think because we've got a management structure where we've got a manager in place for our physiotherapy service, um, we can, we've got time and energies to be able to take on students. We find that the, the students from Macquarie University come through with a little bit more nous only because they, they're doing a post-grad program mm -hmm. and so they're, they're a little bit more mature yes. uh, and so they've been, I think the two or three that we've had um, have been pretty good students mm -hmm. um, and the program itself, they sit in and observe significantly mm -hmm. with our physiotherapy manager. Uh, because we run an integrated practice, they have an opportunity to then sit in with um, our rheumatologists, our exercise physiologists, uh, our dietitians, so they get an understanding of what integrated care is. Um, from there, in terms, we, we still find it hard, I think, to um, get students to then actually treat or assess mm. um, a privately paying patient. Mm. But I think as they go on in their five-week block, they'll have more and more opportunities. Again, it really depends on the student yes. and how quickly they upskill yes. and how much they can actually put into practice what they've learned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but saying that, Macquarie students have been great thus far. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I watch with interest some of these programs that have a three-year master's where there is that more time to work on some of these other skills that would be so helpful, I think, in a private practice area. Um, I think it's quite interesting that you're saying you're using a lot of observation and if, if we're looking at some of the research that's coming out, it's not necessarily the clinical skills that employers are worried about. And so is it more about being in that environment and really just being exposed to that interaction, the um, processes of client service and different funding models? Is that what they need to upskill? Yeah, I think so. Again, I'm a little bit biased because of how I started my career. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, well, I've been a physio now for 19 years. But when I first started out and I did my last clinical placement 20 years ago in private practice, all I did was pretty much observe I, mm. in a five-week block. Right. I got to do some history taking. Yes. Um, but I was acutely aware that if I went into private practice, I had to sell Mm. and I had to try to build rapport mm. and so the education piece in terms of explaining disease state injury management was what I, I needed so I, I spent a lot of time just remembering the analogies um, my mentor mm -hmm. utilized and then I did my first year in hospital but every RDO and um, many Saturday mornings I would sit in private practices observing mm. Um, sure, I'd learn about the clinical process, but I didn't get to touch these patients. Yes. I just listened uh, and hopefully refined my spiels yes. um, so that when I tackled private practice in my second year out, um, I was somewhat ready, obviously still very, very green, mm. um, but at least I had these recipe 
um, spiels that I could try to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that that's not the emphasis. I don't, I don't see people, people want to get in there and do things practically, but sometimes I think you just got to listen a little bit more yes. uh, before you, you, you try to practice. Sure. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time uh, with our new grads, with anyone new, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, that joins our clinic. Uh, the, the ability to communicate, the ability to bring customers along the journey is vital. I tell anyone new that if they can't retain the patient, doesn't matter how good a clinician you are, you're not going to be able to practice your clinical skills and take that patient through. Mm, so your first and foremost still is to build rapport initially so that you can take this person through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's what we literally work on all the time. Great. Yeah. So besides observing, um, because I imagine people learn in different ways and we certainly find that with students. Yep. So um, besides observing, is there any other strategies that you've been using or have seen used effectively ah, okay. to build rapport? Yeah, so we practice. Yeah. So they'll have how, to ro- role practice? play. Role, role play, yeah, yes. And everyone yeah. hates role play. <laughs> uh, and if they can get past that, they'll be a better clinician for it, if yes. not a better person for it. Yeah. Uh, Practicing in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I don't check, but we mentioned go go in front of the mirror at home and mm-hmm. practice your spiel. Mm. Maybe um, how to explain a rotator cuff injury for your shoulder in two minutes. Go and do that in front of the mirror. Uh, thirdly, you can record your session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ask for permission. Record your session on an iPhone or an iPad, uh, and then rewatch it and be aware of what you need to change. So come up with what you did well, come up with what you uh, did okay in, and what you think you can improve. Um, Just that self-awareness would be good. Now, if you can go that next step and allow someone else to watch the audio or video uh, that you've taken, then that person can give you feedback as well. Mm. All this, though, takes a significant amount of time, Mm. Sheree. Absolutely, it does. and, and so I would be hopeful that they're already doing these sorts of things at an undergrad level and that they're Look, used certainly to it. They, certainly they yeah. are, but I think the realistic nature of it can improve. And certainly I've just joined Griffith University and, and I'm quite impressed with some of the simulations that they run with actors oh, and, and, and things like that because I think it, it provides a, a more real, realistic kind of scenario to actually deliver that message because you're right, role-playing, everyone rolls their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Within a within a tutorial, here we go again because it doesn't feel real, and you don't have a, a client coming back and asking. So, um, so yeah, I certainly see or or see some similarities in what we're trying to do. But you know, is it working? Because we do do observations, but we could do more of it within that contextual environment. We do certainly give students a lot of feedback and trying to encourage those reflective skills, but it keeps on coming back to they don't get it until they're in that environment and uh, they need time and experience in that environment. So one, so one of the things that um, students are being recommended to do is, is try and do exactly what you did when you were learning, is to go and observe as much as possible and be in that environment yeah. to really get it. Yeah. I, I wonder, and, and I'm sure everyone's got an opinion on this, you know, social interactions change so much, right? So. Mm. These days, um, everyone's 
posting on Facebook or they're using some other chat platform, so they're <coughs> texting or showing a picture, uh, as opposed to maybe uh, 20 odd years ago when you know you needed to ask someone out on a date, you had to pick up the phone and, and actually call and ring or speak to someone face to face as opposed mm. to send a text message. And so that, that skill of rapport building um, has been lost. Yes. Um, and I often wonder, and you can help me with this, Shuri, whether I should take anyone new to our clinic, both um, receptionists, administrators, clinicians, uh, to a bar, um, <laughs> and just get them to go, you know what, that person over there, that boy or girl over there, you've got to go up, and you've got to make conversation for a minute or two, and put them in a very uncomfortable situation. I'm sure not many, most people will cringe, um, but I, I, I figure that's... That's mm. the only way to foster that skill of rapport building mm -hmm. that has somewhat been lost. Is that fair, what I've just said? I, I, I definitely agree with you, and it is coming out. And I think yeah. the other thing that you're tapping in, into there is confidence. Confidence yeah. in the communication skills. So rapport to me means a, a, a lot of interconnecting with the client, but they... The new grads are so in their head in terms of their clinical reasoning and thought processes that they're losing that that delivery message and that confidence. So I really like your idea of um, you know hands off now go and explain and market yourself basically um, and market what you're selling, which is a service to yeah. your client without actually delivering it. And I think um, certainly there's opportunity for us to explore that a little bit more. Uh, and I think sometimes it's just being aware of what we need to emphasise in teaching. It might be there, but yeah. it, it hasn't been emphasised or contextualised enough for it to translate. Yeah. Do are they are the students you think? Um, and and this is not just for physiotherapy, but all the professions really. Are they told that they're going into sales roles? I don't think that language has been used, yeah. and I definitely think that. Uh, I think we do need to deliver some sort of private practice orientation much better. Um, it becomes this unknown quantity and yeah. students and graduates themselves don't know what they're getting in, into until they're there and they, they don't know who they are as a practitioner and what they need and they're kind of just thrown into this environment that's really unfamiliar. And I don't. I think it, that's what takes the time too to adjust to that whole framework because yeah. it's it is quite different to the public sector. I I think your client expectations are different. Your um, it's it's people are paying for your service, yeah. so yeah. they have the decision to walk out that door. But I also wonder whether we tell those that are going into the public sector that it is still a sales role. Yes. And the reason yeah. why it's a sales role, we know that compliance and adherence to your management is typically so poor mm. that if you don't engage with the patient um, and you don't sell what needs to happen, mm. that patient's not going to take on what you've said and then they're not, they're yeah. not going to improve and the outcomes yes. aren't going to be great anyway. Yes, yeah. um, I, I wonder whether that's... I, I, think it's the, I think it's the language we don't use. Yeah. Um, and there's a kind of a cringe factor for some people when they bring in the financial aspect. Whereas I, I think you're right. We're, part of this confidence building is that there's got to be some value of what we're offering. Yeah. And if you're not convinced of it yourself, how can you possibly sell that or market it to someone else? Um, and so I think that's what we're kind of 
got to look at is the confidence and the, the value that they place on what they're learning and what they can offer, as well as the communication of that. Yeah, yeah I agree. Mm. Errol, that was wonderful to chat with you today. I'm really uh, keen to explore with employers like yourself ways we can enhance the clinical experiences for our graduates. So hopefully we can talk again soon. Yeah, hopefully. No, thank you very much, Harry. That was brilliant. It was good to see the um, the perspectives uh, from university and yourself. Um, Obviously, everyone uh, wants the same thing. uh, And hopefully we can all work together to get those better outcomes that we require. So thanks again, Cherie. To find out more, visit physiotherapy.asn.au.